and we welcome you if you're attending live today and we also welcome you if you're watching by replay afterwards we're glad you're here you're going to get a lot of information that's going to help you as you as we focus on uh, another installment in the series reboot navigating your church's regathering uh, as we exit COVID-19 this specific uh, webinar today is about regathering with worship and music in mind. We understand there are very specific implications for worship and music, and that's why this incredible panel has been assembled by Dr. John Duncan. So as you're on the call today, uh, let us know what questions you have by using the question and answer box to leave your question and also the chat box. There'll be interaction there. If any links are referenced and things like that, we try to drop those in the chat box for you so that you can write those down. But uh, we're glad you're here today. Thank you for giving us a little bit of your time here on this May 14th, 2 p.m. Uh, Thursday afternoon training. Well, I want to introduce you to our host today and uh, facilitator, Dr. John Duncan. He is Catalyst for Music and Worship at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. He is responsible for putting together this incredible panel from literally all over the state, from all different sized churches. Plus, we have some unannounced special guests that we've added to the panel today that I believe you're gonna appreciate, especially when you understand who they are and what they bring to the table. It'll become clear why Dr. John has asked them to be a part. So welcome today, Dr. John, the floor is yours, sir. Hey, thank you, Scott. And we appreciate you putting this together because you're helping our churches immensely. Uh, we've seen some of the reboot series from our featuring our pastors around the state. We've all been blessed by it. So Scott, thank you for your good work and for the privilege that we have to come together. Yeah, we, we are from all over the state right now, and we do have some special guests with us, all are special. I want to introduce them very quickly. Uh, first, we have uh, Will Whitaker. Will serves at Ivy Creek Baptist Church in the Buford area and has been there for several years. Uh, he has an interesting situation in that his church really runs a lot more than what the capacity of their church will allow. It is an amazing thing to see that parking lot full. And if you can get a parking place at Ivy Creek, you, you know, you're doing well. Uh, but, uh, but he does a great job and has some insights about what they might be doing. You might find yourself in a situation similar to where your space just will not allow for the kind of social distancing that maybe some of the authorities are asking you to provide. Uh, we also have uh, Cliff Duran with us. Cliff is uh, no stranger to Georgia. He is a Georgian, uh, attended Shorter University, a, a notable composer, uh, Grammy winner, Dove winner. I tell you, the, the list goes longer than what I can uh, have time to share. But he is now serving at First Baptist Church of Woodstock, and we're glad to have him back from the mission field in Tennessee and in the great state of Georgia. And so welcome to Cliff. We also uh, are pleased to have uh, Steve White. Now, Steve has an immense background in church music, but currently he is serving as executive pastor at Warren Baptist. And uh, particularly significant, uh, one reason I wanted to bring him on is that he has to oversee a lot of different facets of what this uh, virus is creating in our churches. And I wanted him to speak into this because he has so much to, uh, to offer to us. Um, we also have Adam Howard with us. Adam serves at First Baptist Church of the Islands in the Savannah area, a little bit like Will Whitaker in that their church is, uh, they're experiencing some, some issues with just the flow of people in a small facility with lots of folks coming in. 
and I wanted him to come in. Um, this is a new uh, issue for all of us, but Adam has some some keen insights and creative things of what what they're doing at their church. Uh, and then I'd like to introduce to you uh, Barry Cook. Barry is at First Baptist Church of Tifton. What's interesting about his church is that they have, I believe I counted five different worship expressions in three different buildings on campus at about four different times. I'll let you all do the math on that and figure it out. But uh, Barry might have some unique insights for us. And we are also very pleased to be able to introduce uh, Tanea Metters to you. Tanea works here at the Georgia Baptist uh, Convention uh, Mission Board serving the area of wellness, and she has been up uh, helping us in developing the latest CDC requirements that we could pass on to our churches, and she'll have a lot that she'll be able to share. And finally, uh, we have Clifton Hastings. Dr. Hastings is a heart surgeon at Northeast Medical in Gainesville, uh, has a wonderful testimony. Uh, I, I believe that God called him into the medical field. He might might have a chance to share this, but he has a powerful testimony. He's a Georgia Baptist, and uh, his uh, sister is a talented musician that sings in the Jubilaires, and we're just thrilled to have him. I saw him on television a couple of nights ago uh, in an interview and wanted to make sure we could get him on board with us. So, uh, Dr. Hastings, thank you. And if we could, I'd like to kind of start with Dr. Hastings. Uh, he's been right in the middle of the what would be the hot zone uh, in North Georgia in the Gainesville area, been uh, right in the middle of it. So, uh, Dr. Hastings, can you share with us uh, some updates related to COVID-19, what's going on, and maybe what could you share with worship leaders related to regathering for worship? Well, thank you, John. Um, it's a pleasure to be with all of you. Um, we are here in Gainesville, Georgia, Northeast Georgia Medical Center and Health System. Uh, we are a hot zone. We've been averaging about 300 or so patients either with the virus or suspected of the virus. We've been seeing a slight decrease in those numbers over the past two weeks, which is a good thing. We've expanded our capacity by almost 200% in our critical care units. And although we're above our normal capacity, we still have some capacity to to care for these patients with uh, plans to add another 48 beds over the next two weeks. Um, what I am seeing is um, some very stressed uh, socioeconomic communities that have a high degree of, of uh, transmission in those uh, communities. And we've been reaching out, trying to support those communities through uh, the state, but also through a lot of the churches in the area too. And they've been a great, great deal of support. As far as an update on the treatment of this virus, there's really not a valid good treatment that's going to get rid of the virus. There are some drugs from Desivir and some other things that help decrease the duration some. Uh, they haven't really been shown to decrease the mortality uh, that much. So this is a very dangerous virus. Um, fortunately, the great majority of people who contract this virus uh, recover. Probably 95 plus percent of the people do. Unfortunately, the small percent who get hospitalized and certainly those who get put on ventilator, there's a very poor survival with that. Uh, in New York, during the um, height of that thing, uh, spreading through that region, only 15% of those patients that were ventilated who were over age 60 survived. So it's a deadly virus if you're one of the unfortunate few who get uh, infected. 
Uh, as far as uh, my thoughts, uh, you asked me uh, last week to think about this, and I've actually read a lot and done a lot of research online uh, and talked to some uh, thought leaders in the EMT area as well as infectious disease. And it's pretty clear that um, gatherings of people, especially in tight spaces and in areas where you don't have much ventilation, in the ORs where I work, we, we circulate the air over 80 times an hour. I think in most normal sanctuaries and such is nowhere near that. So there's the tendency that you're gonna have a virus that can be aerosolized through singing and through uh, speaking that uh, can remain in the air for a long time and promote a significant spread of the disease. And I think um, the two hotspots originally in Georgia and one in Rome and also in Albany were related to either church services or funerals. Uh, and at that point, no one even knew the virus was here, but we saw a significant number of deaths with that. There have been other uh, situations, one in uh, Seattle, where 53 out of 61 choir members after a two and a half hour uh, rehearsal became ill with the virus, two of which who died. So uh, it is a huge challenge. It has certainly made us change and, and rethink the way that we gather. Uh, we strongly recommend uh, out in public, if you're around people to wear masks, we recommend the social distancing, uh, the hand washing, all the things that you've heard. And CDC has a lot of guidelines. And I shared with John some other things that other uh, choral groups as well as churches and throughout the country have been talking about. But this is a real virus. It uh, is equal opportunity. It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, what you don't believe, how much money you have. Uh, it can and will infect, and so I think it's uh, up to us to do all we can to mitigate those risks, and I'm very pleased to see what you and uh, your group is doing to address those things, as well as to uh, seek understanding and guidance along those lines. Well, Dr. Hastings, we're singers. We're musicians. We, we love to hear our people sing. Uh, I mean, the, 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 the scriptures tell us that this is something that the people of God uh, must do. It's what we're to do, and we're conflicted from the the theology versus the the real science. But not all of you know. Most of the time, science and faith can actually coexist quite well. Here, it's there's a real tension. How would you encourage ministers of music that are making these tough decisions about what they should? Uh, not necessarily the what are the things they need to do, but what are some things that would give them some confidence and a sense of encouragement that that uh, the people of God can move forward through this time period? Well, I think what I've seen over the past two months gives me great hope and encouragement because I now attend church by either looking at my phone or my laptop, uh, and I can participate in that. And actually, in my own home, I can sing. Uh, I just don't want to sing in public. Uh, so I do think that a lot of the things that have already been done uh, have been a great resource. And uh, Mark Green, our uh, minister of music at First Baptist here in Gainesville, shared a, uh, a song uh, when he uh, put it online and my sister uh, shared it with me. And at the end of a long day, I sat on the porch and listened to it. And, I mean, it was a great, great comfort to me. And I've used it several times since then. So I, I totally agree with you. The use of music, the use of uh, praise, is incredibly important. We need to figure out how we can do that in our services and, and with our uh, with our community. I do think recording, I do think uh, using some electronic means, uh, I would not use woodwinds or any kind of uh, 
orchestration that, that involves that because that's probably the highest level of uh, spread of aerosolization of virus. Singing certainly does. I don't think there are any masks or, or anything that would provide the level of safety. I think the things that ultimately are going to allow us to regroup and re-enter uh, the way that we used to worship are going to be a vaccine. Uh, widespread accurate testing. Uh, if your local community has very small penetrance of, of the virus, then at some point there probably will be a way we can do this because we've been singing and worshiping together for years without significant risk, um, or maybe we had risk and just didn't realize it. So where that is and what those numbers are, I don't think anybody really knows at this point. Um, but I would encourage you to not abandon the music, not abandon the singing and praising, but to find ways that we can do this in a safe manner so that we're not putting those vulnerable. I would tell you that I do think the elderly, um, and I found out when this virus came along, I'm now six, over 60, so I'm officially in the elderly group and high risk. Um, we need to make sure that uh, when we do gather in the future that we're using masks and doing things to protect. The mask doesn't protect you from the virus, it protects others from you from spreading that. My son is a nurse and he takes care of COVID patients and was met someone in the parking lot who asked him, he said, you know, that mask isn't going to protect you from anything. And he told him, he said, I take care of COVID patients every day. I'm wearing this mask to protect you. So wear your mask to protect those precious members who are older and more vulnerable, socially distance and do all the things that the CDC is recommending. That's great. Well, Dr. Hastings, we appreciate you being with us. We know that you're, you're on call and have a 2.30 appointment, so we'll let you get to that. But we appreciate you being available to us and uh, uh, sharing your findings. And we, we're glad to have you part of the George Baptist family, and we appreciate you so much. And, and so God bless you in your work. We pray for you. As a matter of fact, we'd like to voice a prayer for you as you're right there in the front lines, if we could. Our Heavenly Father, all of us are in agreement that the medical community is at a, a very high risk, and we just ask that you would protect them, protect Dr. Hastings as he continues to serve, use them to be an extension of your love and your grace, and may people come to faith in Christ because of the touch of our uh, medical community that our followers are Jesus Christ, they're being salt and light in a world that needs it, and right now being the extension of the great physician, I pray that you would bless and use him in great ways in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, all John, right. and thank you all. We know and feel and appreciate those prayers every day, so thank you. Thank you, God bless you. Well, uh, as we've been discussing about the various aspects of, of this, uh, I wanted to kind of go to uh, one of our church leaders, if we could, that are out there on the front lines uh, I'm going to ask Cliff Duran. Uh, Cliff, it's so good to have you back in Georgia, my friend. And and I know you, uh, you probably didn't didn't predict this uh, when you uh, make the move that you'd be looking at uh, at this type of a of an event in your life and in the life of your church. What what are you all doing? Uh, when will you might be coming back together? And perhaps what went into that decision? How you made the decision? That's a great question, John. It's good to be with you guys today, too. Also, you said I won a Grammy. If I did, nobody told me. Okay? <laughs> uh, I want to make that. Want to make that. Oh, you should have. You should have. <laughs> well, um, so at First Woodstock, we will um, actually release a statement to our church tomorrow with our um, regathering plan, and so I can give you like some details, uh, but we'll save some real specific timeline stuff for that. 
that release. And as you know, anything we say tomorrow could change based on, you know, what happens, uh, you know, over the next few weeks. So I can say this, you know, we're, uh, we have two models, two worship expressions on our, on our campus, a service led with choir and orchestra, a service led with uh, a band, a smaller team. And so uh, this season of live streaming, we've come together, which has been really great, a, a unifying factor. It's odd that you would, you know, uh, experience unity, even when you're not all meeting in the same room, but it's been cool for our entire staff, our team to come together and serve. And so when we start to regather um, in the weeks ahead, we will uh, still gather in that model. So it'll be, you know, a largely staff-led worship service, um, and uh, our worship center will be extremely strategic about social distancing. So for us, even in a, I've seen some questions about, you know, uh, what about smaller rooms, smaller churches? Um, uh, we will also do more services than we normally would just to give ample space um, and safe distance for, you know, our congregants. And so uh, that's a definite plan. Of course, the, you know, choir and orchestra question is a, is a big one for us and we're still, you know, just waiting on the timeline to see uh, when the safest time is to do that. And um, it kind of, that, that's a next phase. We, we have like a, you know, a three phase plan of how to, um, how to map that out. And so that's not in phase one. We won't be just back to normal right, uh, right when we dive in. Uh, we've been using a lot of video to help uh, still give our choir and orchestra opportunities to lead uh, they've led worship in our live stream just through iPhone video recordings that our, you know, team has taken and uh, gathered up to like a hundred videos and built, uh, you know, it's take, it's been labor intensive and time intensive, but uh, ex extremely meaningful to our people who are used to being led by choir and orchestra every week. And so even in our uh, regathering, uh, we'll probably still use some video elements of that to include uh, our worship leading choir and, and give them that opportunity that we would in a live gathering. That is great. And we'll probably come back to some other questions related to that. But one of the things I found interesting was that um, wind instruments seem to create a greater level of aerosol uh, that can impact and spread the infection even more than singing. I was surprised by that. When you I appreciate you sharing that you all are going to phase this in gradually rather than uh, everybody show up and let's go do our thing. Even with social distancing, you have a plan that is going to kind of tiptoe through this, of which uh, most likely you're going to be flexible the whole time and readjust as you need. Absolutely. I mean, even our even our timeline has changed, you know, before we've even announced it. And so, um, uh, so, uh, we're, we're, I feel like this one is going to work, you know, uh, unless, you know, you know, things could change, but we're, we're hopeful, but yeah, the things we're thinking about in our services, it'll change or, you know, uh, no offering plates, other ways of giving, no bulletin, like nothing physical that will be, you know, handed out. Our, our Good Friday service was a live stream where people, we led them through communion in their homes, you know, and so there's, it's a, a big rethinking all the way around, but uh, even the way our congregations leave and enter, we will, we will navigate uh, just to be extremely safe, allowing uh, more time in between services than we normally would as well um, to, uh, to make sure we can uh, not have high traffic areas. Yeah. 
That's great. Listen, uh, let me bring in a, a question that has come in, um, and I'd like to bring in Tanea at this point because I think, uh, Tanea, you've been doing a lot of research, uh, as I have, in relation to the issue of aerosol and just the, the potency of that as it relates to choirs, even congregational singing. Uh, we have a question from uh, one of our ministers of music who asks, is there any new evidence that COVID-19 transmission can happen through the aerosol effect of our singing? I think um, perhaps there's been some conflicting reports on that. Tanea, can you bring some, uh, uh, some of your research and findings on that? It's probably not as confusing as we would hope it would be. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Thanks for that, John. I, I think it's important um, for the context of this question and, and pretty much um, in the realm of worship altogether to remember your sourcing. So there's a lot of information out there right now, um, and there's a lot of theories out there right now and hypothesis, and these are all good things as we're trying to navigate together. Um, Hardcore evidences are going to take time to extrapolate. That's the nature of science and research. So because this is novel, and we don't feel like it's novel since we've all been sheltering in place, we feel that this is really old news, but it literally is the most pliable situation, virally speaking, that I've seen in my career. Um, I think, and I pray that I will see in my lifetime <laughs> as a clinician. So, um, just understand that what is said today will likely change tomorrow. Um, and I'll just kind of piggyback on what Cliff just said, having that fluidity and pliable mindset and phasing things and being adaptive to what the research and data shows. Um, we will go down a rabbit hole if we begin to say, is that research validated? Is that theory validated? Um, let me encourage you to trust the governing bodies that our local governments have encouraged us um, to, to follow, and that is the CDC. Um, no matter what your opinion on the information that's coming out is, that is our governing bodies. And so that's the direction that we're going to always refer back to. And let me also encourage you that it they give us interpretive guidance and recommendations. They don't give us laws. They don't give us black and white. They give us interpretive guidance. So we're just taking these guidelines and applying them best we can. As far as research specific to the aerosolization of vocalists and to instruments, we know, um, I am nowhere the caliber of a musician that you guys are, but I definitely partake in worship. Um, and when you're sustaining, especially in choir, you're utilizing those lower lobes. You're pulling and sustaining um, different than how I'm speaking now. Uh, we know where this virus resides. Starts in the throat, stays there for about four days before it gets deep into the lobes. Um, so once you've converted, and even if you're asymptomatic and you're a carrier, that's where it's staying. So in scientific theory, you could say by you know, using expiratory from the lower lobes, you would have a more condensed aerosolized sample than just in talking. But it's kind of like splitting hairs, six and a half a dozen, right? Like exposure is exposure. So again, just being um, patient and mindful that the data is gonna change. Um, we know it comes from here and cough, sneeze, etiquette, all those things. So back to what Dr. Hastings said, mask wearing, good hand hygiene, um, and obviously if you're ill, good, good cough 
um, sneeze etiquette and if you're ill, the best way to prevent this virus is to not be around people with it. The, the silent issue here is the asymptomatic carriers. So that's why the masking is protecting the other people. Hard to sing with a mask. I understand that. Hard to talk with a mask, much yeah. less sing. Um, maybe that gives you some clarity. There's not any um, one body of evidence at this point. We don't have enough data to have those evidences yet. Right. Well, and we have to remember, too, that this is, this is new. Uh, it's new to everybody, to the medical community as well. And to have empirical evidence that, that we so desire is just not going to be possible over the next few weeks. And so, uh, but we sure want to be able to worship with our community five years from now. And uh, so we want to protect them uh, as much as we can right now. And I know that's, that's hard because every fiber in my body wants to sing. And I know that probably three-fourths or 75% of our listeners today are musicians, and they want so desperately to present their instruments to the Lord, but we also want to do it responsibly. I think patience and mindfulness are two words I heard you say that I think are important for us to realize today. And I sent a note out to several pastor friends of mine uh, and just said, guys, your church is going to respond to how you fed them all these years. They're, they're going to be okay. They're going to be strong. They're not going away. They're going to keep on coming. They're going to give and they're going to respond. So, so don't give up on your ministry too quick. You have been an you know, incredible influence through the years. So don't give up on them. Well, uh, Tanaya, thank you so much. I, I do have another question here. Uh, evidently there's been some confusion out there. How do you, obviously, you said trust the sources. The CDC uh, is about all that we have to a certain degree. Uh, but, you know, I, I sent you a couple of documents I've seen and, and uh, people with magical cures and, you know, and a snake oil salesman and everything else. And, and, and basically, you had to look it over and say, you know, this isn't uh, based on real evidence. Uh, Dr. Hastings came back and said, well, there's nothing new here, just more words. And, uh, and so how do we, how do we, where do we get our information where we can really trust it so we can make a decision that's, that's based on solid, the most solid evidence we have? That's a great question. Let me start with where you should not get your evidence. You no. should not get your evidence from social media. <laughs> you should not get your evidence from um, your mom's blog group. Um, you should not get your evidence from a lot of unreliable sources, and they may be brilliant um, up underneath that. But from a scientific standpoint, we have governing bodies, and, and this is not new, okay? So for modalities of treatment, there are processes. There are clinical trials that are already happening right now and have been happening. Uh, the reality is America has learned a lot in a very small amount of time, specifically our medical community, and no matter where you sit, us as believers have to trust this one thing. Nothing's new under the sun. Yeah. Okay, so we want as clinicians, I want, and even in our email correspondence, John, can you put something that will give us confidence? Mm -hmm. Well, confidence is going to come only from our creator. Uh, I wish I could give you a book 
from the FDA with these emergency youth authorizations and all these algorithms of how we're getting treatments and when's a vaccine and, um, you know, are these real comorbidities and threatening factors? Do I put myself in an increase? I want to answer all those questions, but scientifically, we're nowhere near giving you those answers. And even when, Lord willing, we achieve these treatments and modalities, we'll have another 10 to 20 years of researching what effects those have. Yeah, <laughs> so this true. is not yeah. going to change yeah. um, by the end of summer or next year, or we're gonna become students of this, just like we were students of polio, just like we were students of the other SARS and swine flu and different things that we've been presented with. But our governing bodies being the CDC, there's also the World Health Organization. It is not a colloquial to the US. So I like to stay with what our local governments use. Um, uh -huh. We're all in Georgia. So we're following the CDC, which is also in Georgia. Um, and they're utilizing, you know, their best practice methods. And that's what we have to trust and go on filtering yeah. all that through the wisdom of the Lord. Yeah. for sure. I think that's a good word. And I think it'd be a good reminder of us, uh, for all of us to stay local with our information as much as possible. Um, and, um, uh, a, a couple of questions here. I'd like to move to Will Whitaker if we could. Will is at Ivy Creek. Like I mentioned, uh, a large attendance, uh, church is growing, but uh, limited in space. And so they have a lot of uh, challenges ahead of them. And I was going to just see kind of what they do because several of our churches fall in that category. Will, speak to us from Ivy Creek. Well, it's good, it's good to see you all or, or have you all here. Um, we are probably going to be one of the first churches in Georgia to start. We are actually beginning our in-person services Sunday. Um, so we'll be one of the few guinea pigs that we can tell you all what worked and what didn't work. But I'll tell you that everything that you all are mentioning in terms of safety protocols and uh, practices for socially distancing the congregation, having overflow rooms set up, um, and those uh, practices of cleaning bathrooms after every single person goes and limiting who can go in and all those types of things, taking everything physical away, everything you all are doing, we're going to be doing. Um, and so we are really hoping that based on the numbers that we've got, um, that we can accommodate um, what we think will definitely show up. We're probably, we're hoping it will be um, several, several hundred um, in the two services that we're going to have. But if not, um, we're going to be ready for that. Um, we cannot, I mean, the, the churches that I know of that I've spoken with that have already uh, started meeting or there they had about 15 to 25 percent of their typical um, congregation um, for their first few services and so we're kind of we're not really using that as our as our guide we're tr we're trying to aim above that just in case yeah. but uh, things that we're going to do is um, because we're moving our services further apart so we have plenty of time to clean in between um, so if um, you will uh, how, how much time are you allowing for that um, at least 30 minutes mm -hmm. because we're what we're going to do before both services is keep people in their cars until uh, about 20 yeah. minutes before the service and then they're going to be like brought in almost like at, at a wedding where you bring in each family um, at a time <laughs> Very good. that's the, the way I kind of uh, envision it from yeah. our talks right so, um, where everyone's going to go in one way and then out a different way thankfully even though we have um, we have limited space. We do have lots of ways to get in and out of our building. So that really helps us so they can go out um, a different way. 
And so as the, the folks may be getting ready to come in for our 11 o'clock service, um, they'll be able to kind of be queued up in their cars or at least socially distanced outside, and then they can come in. And uh, we, we, you know, blocking off every other, we have fixed seating, uh, this theater seating, but it's fixed. So we have plans for how we're gonna build from the very front of the congregation to the back. Um, good standpoint i did i did see one question that was going on from foster pain that was asking something to cliff but i'm gonna i'm gonna take it from my perspective if that's okay um so we um have been using just a rhythm section um, i'm gonna bring in some string players this week so no no wind instruments but string guitar you know, all those types of things that don't use um breath for singing and then just using a very small praise team and we're going to continue that path for a while um, so my long-term plan is obviously to add back in choir and orchestra at full force at some point, but I'm really going to kind of take, obviously we're going to take our, our cues from the CDC and see how that is, but I'm going to, I'm kind of watching what our schools are going to do. Mm -hmm. if, our, if our marching bands go back in mid-July, like we think they should go back in mid-July for marching band rehearsals, um, and um, choral ensembles start in August, then I'm going to feel a lot more comfortable starting our situation. But in the meantime, once we get into the latter part of the summer, if we can figure out a way to, to space out in enough ways, um, you know, bring in, rot do rotations for the choir. Everybody in my choir is there. We have 95. It's never going to happen that way, but we can divide them into groups and have them spaced out. And you get this Sunday, you get this Sunday, that kind of thing. And, you know, put one on a part for orchestra, because if all my players are there, I've got 38, which is probably too many for 90 singers anyway. But again, just trying to space them out and figuring out ways for them to go and places for them to go so that they're plenty far enough away from, from other folks. Um, one of the things that we that we know is that um, it's, it's very important for us to um, give the appearance that we are doing everything to be safe that we possibly can, uh, that we're taking every precaution that we possibly can. So we are gonna overdo everything that we can to make people feel comfortable. Even when we're off the platform, we're gonna wear masks. Um, if we're waving at people, not shaking their hands, um, greeting them from the staff perspective, masks will go off when we're on the platform, but doing all of those types of practices. So uh, we do have an overflow room. I did want to mention that we actually have two different options for overflow rooms. We're only going to do one now to see how that rolls. So that's how we're handling our space issue um, to try to get us um, to where we could possibly, if everybody was there. Very good. Um, to get them there. Very good. Um, this might be a good time. Let me just insert uh, Tom Duvall. I don't think he's on video, but maybe he can speak and we could hear him. Tom serves as, as an attorney. Tom, are you there? Um, John, can you hear me? I can. Uh, can you hear me, John? I, nod if you're, if yeah. you're hearing. I think everybody's hearing you. Yes, Tom. Listen, we've got okay, a question uh, that, that I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay, Tom, the question uh, that I have that, that uh, I think is on a lot of people's minds right now is the uh, issues of, of liability. Uh, people coming into a worship center, someone happens to, to catch COVID-19, maybe protocols hadn't been uh, taken place at, at, at a level of what we've been talking about here today. and. Maybe masks haven't been utilized. Uh, maybe the 
cleaning hasn't taken place and um, maybe there's just been a, kind of a lack of attention to these areas, but yet yet they have a service. Someone gets COVID-19 and let's just say as a case study, un unfortunately that person is to pass away and family members look at the church as being responsible. Uh, is, there a, is there a possibility that someone could bring some kind of legal action against the church? Well, John, uh, there is. I'm sorry to say that churches are not immune from litigation. Um, that's why many churches uh, carry liability insurance and should carry it. Um, it all comes down to what we would look at as negligence, and, and that's basically a lack of a standard of care. Um, if you look at what the standard of care is, it's basically ordinary care, due care, what a reasonably prudent person would do if you've sat on a jury before. In a negligence case, you've heard the judge charge you as to what the standard of care is. And basically, he will not tell you whether you should have had sanitizer or whether you should have had um, things cleaned up. He would just say that the church or the, or the individual should be responsible, should have done what an ordinarily prudent person would do under like circumstances. And so what, what I would say is this, if a church is not following the guidelines that Tanea has spoken about, um, if they haven't checked with their insurance company to see what they would require, if they're not being careful, if they're not doing what these other um, uh, speakers have said, then yes, they're, they're gonna be liable and responsible. And um, the, the key is to do what a reasonably prudent person or organization would do under like circumstances. Again, back to what Tanea said, what is that? Follow the guidelines, the CDC, the state of Georgia, anything your insurance company says, and um, try to be very careful in what you do. If you do that, then your argument will be is we were not negligent. Uh, we followed all the standard of cares that we should. So I think you're right, John, churches can be sued. It would not surprise me that we have litigation involving churches if they're not careful. Your best defense, follow the guidelines. Uh, do what we've talked about on here. Um, I don't know if it's been mentioned earlier, but uh, there was a webinar that Scott had earlier, um, April the 23rd, I think it was, guidelines for uh, reopening and returning to church. It has a lot of good information in there. If you haven't already seen that, you ought to go back and pull the video on uh, those guidelines. And uh, what I would recommend highly to any church as it reopens is that it lists the guidelines out and make sure they're doing what they should be doing. That will protect them from a negligence lawsuit. That is, that is great, great help for us, Tom. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And I think Tom's going to be with us. And feel free to interject as we as we move along. Uh, I wanted to to visit just a little bit with uh, Barry. Oh, uh, Steve, is that were you calling in? I'm sorry, I just saw you move there. Well. Uh, Let's go ahead and move to uh, Barry Cook, who serves at First Baptist Tipton. I mentioned multiple services, multiple settings, and uh, different styles. Barry, how is this affecting your church, and what are some things you put in place that might be able to give us some thoughts and ideas about how uh, we need to set uh, things forward when we regather? And also, when are you all going to start back? Just a little bit about uh, our history March the 8th was the last time we had a regular Sunday. And on that morning, we had an adult contemporary service with a praise team and band at 8.30 in the chapel. 
And then we had a full-on contemporary service with band and media and a worship leader at 1050 in the ministry center. And then we had an almost totally traditional service with choir and orchestra at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary. And then that night at 6 o'clock, a type service again. So, so we're used to going four different directions on the same day. And uh, during this time that we've been uh, sequestered, we have uh, still maintained uh, two services, a contemporary one and one that began more traditional, uh, but we've moved it towards more of a, an adult contemporary blended mix as we've gone on and proceeded towards this date. Uh, we plan to begin phase one of our reopen on May the 31st, and we plan to do that with no 8.30 service and with no six o'clock service. Uh, so we'll run two services on Sunday. Um, one, both will have bands, both will have praise teams. One will have more of a traditional bent to it, but it'll be in the sanctuary at 11. Then the uh, contemporary services will divide them and have one at nine o'clock and one at 10.50 to give time between for cleaning and, and a reboot for that. Um, we're planning again to do two, three phases. This first one has no small groups, has no choirs, uh, has no touching. Um, and uh, we'll do similar uh, practices that you've heard from Will and from Cliff. Uh, as we move on towards phase two, we'll try to start uh, childcare during the services, which we won't have now. Uh, we'll try to start small groups that are actually meeting together and not online. And we'll see what happens uh, when we can begin singing with choirs again. Uh, we'll have praise team in the service at 11 o'clock. Um, we'll have uh, two or three singers at the 9 and 1050 services. Uh, this has actually been uh, something that's not a blessing, but we, will, we don't have any plans to begin our 830 service again at this point. Mm -hmm. And we'll try to consolidate the 830 and 11 o'clock services so that everybody can worship together, so we can better use the resources that we have and so that we can have, have this service that unites us and draws us toward that similar purpose of sharing our faith with others through mm -hmm. what uh, That's great, Barry. You know, I think several churches I've talked to in recent days have kind of revisited what their worship expression will look like. I think if anything else, uh, if anything, maybe this has caused us to kind of rethink what the priorities are, that maybe uh, certain expressions that we felt were so important to us, maybe are not valued at the level as we once thought. We just want to be together. That's true. And so, And uh, you hear people, I know we all share this, you hear people when, when they talk to you, when they uh, email you or text you, that are just saying, I just so want to be back with my church family. And yeah. I never realized what kind of impact this would have on me because we never thought we'd be in the spot. And I believe that we could really see a, a move of God when we all get back together. And, and are really prioritized in what we're doing. That's excellent. Thank you, Barry, and uh, be praying for you as you all continue to move forward. I know, you know, Albany seems like, a, or Albany seems like a, a pretty good distance, uh, but you guys have been impacted by that because of the hot zone that's there. You got medical folks, that personnel that, that go and serve in that hospital and are coming back, and there's, uh, I know there's been some tough 
tough times and tough calls you guys have, have been involved with. So your prayer, our prayers are with you. Uh, let me let me go on to, if we could, to Steve White, who, like I mentioned, uh, served many years as a minister of music I, uh, and uh, became a good friend in recent days from Sons of Jubal at a concert at his church at Warren Baptist and serves as executive pastor. Uh, you've got a lot of facilities to take care of. You've got um, additional campuses that your church sponsors. Um, Steve, what's going on at Warren and and what are you doing that might be able to speak into the, the issues and the struggles that we're all dealing with right now? Well, John, I'm pleasured, I'm pleasured to be here with you today. And uh, just a little bit about Warren. We've got two campuses, as you said. We've got one in Augusta and one in Grovetown. And on Sundays, we normally have at our Augusta campus, we normally have five services and we have two at our Grovetown campus. We're primarily a contemporary church, but we do have one service uh, at our Augusta campus that has our uh, choir and orchestra leading in worship, and it's one of our largest attended services, in fact. But all the other services that we have are contemporary. Since the pandemic, uh, by the way, we have not had any deaths and from the pandemic, and I'm Amen. grateful for that. But uh, since that time, we began live streaming like many of these guys that are, are listening in, as well as our panel, uh, one service each Sunday at 10 a.m. Uh, for both of our campuses to view. Our media teams have been the main ones that are heavily involved on Sunday mornings uh, with the live streaming with a contemporary worship team, followed by a message by our pastor. We also have a regular service that is on CBS affiliate uh, each Sunday at 11 a.m. And so those are the two things that are really happening on Sunday. Our staff has been working from home for quite some time. Um, our facilities management went in during that time uh, and they sanitized our buildings. They taped off entrances to those rooms that, so we would know not to go into those areas when we are on campus. And we've stayed in touch with one another through, uh, as a staff through Zoom meetings. Our ministerial staff and department heads uh, returned to work uh, a week and a half ago on Monday, May the 4th. And then this past Monday, we brought our uh, administrative assistants uh, back to work. Uh, all of our staff is working from the Augusta campus, uh, both campuses, and uh, combined at this campus, at the Augusta campus. The Grovetown campus is locked and clean. And uh, the Augusta campus is also locked to outsiders, including our members, for safety purposes. We just, we don't let anybody in except for our staff uh, during these days. We've installed a large uh, locking mailbox outside our main entrance to our Augusta campus for members to be able to drop off their offerings uh, or if, if they haven't mailed it or given online. And speaking of online giving, uh, it's been amazing to see the growth in that area of giving during this pandemic. I think it's forced our people to learn how to give that way. And it's been incredible to see how the Lord just continues to uh, supply our needs as a church. Amen. At this time, we don't, we don't have any solid plans to reopen. We're just kind of watching uh, everything. Our desire is to continue to err on the side of safety. And one thing we have done is we have 
installed some large uh, outdoor tents on both campuses. And we do plan to have an outdoor graduating senior recognition service on Sunday morning, May the 24th. And that will be for primarily for the graduates and their families. And mm. once we feel it's safe to do so, we plan to begin some outdoor contemporary services. Uh, we'll have security on site uh, just to help us to make sure that we're observing correct uh, social distancing, uh, wearing masks and gloves. Uh, we've also looked at all of our worship venues inside our buildings to see how many we can get into those areas uh, with appropriate social distancing. And our hopes are that we can safely move back inside maybe in the month of July, but we're just, we're not sure. It's definitely easier to use contemporary teams uh, versus choir and orchestra. Presently, we have no plans for choir and orchestra to restart. That will happen, but we just don't know when that's going to happen. Right. And so we're just not uh, sure, you know, what to even say in regard to that yet. I direct uh, on an interim basis our choir and orchestra. Right. And so, um, you know, I sure miss those people. But um, uh, we feel like for their safety um, and ours, because they're singing right toward their director, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wonder now after hearing all of what I've heard today, you know, how many colds have I gotten just because of my choir singing toward me in the past? You know, I think we all as directors need to ask that question. I don't know. But uh, but uh, that's kind of where we are, you know, yeah. on the Augusta, uh, well, Warren Augusta campus. Well, thank you, Steve. Um, and I think this might be a good uh, question for today uh, uh, to kind of come back to this. Uh, it has to do with praise teams versus choirs, small groups versus large group, instrumental groups. We've had several uh, people post some questions about that. And um, very quickly, can you share a little bit the difference between aerosol, maybe droplets, and the, the group impact versus small ensemble impact? Sure, well, I'm just going to, I don't think that we have to get into the minutia or the granularity of droplet, air droplet versus aerosolized versus how long it stays on contact or multi-use items. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> Hello, sir. Boss just came in. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just breaking in. Uh, sorry to be Come on there. We're going to get a little lower here. Okay, We're going to put the boss in. <laughs> oh, go ahead. He's going to audition for the Sons of Jubal. And so it's time for us to get started. It's tenor. I just I can hit a tenor note every now and then. As <laughs> long, long as you put your name on the check, man, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead today and tell us what we need to be doing. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Listen, we'll always pause when you walk in the room. That's, that's <laughs> no, not a problem. Um, I don't think that we have to get into the granularity. Here's, here's what we know, what research we do have. The smaller the setting and the smaller the group of people, the better. The 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 decrease of risk for transmission. So smaller groups make a lot of sense. I know you guys have already thought through microphones and the sharing of those and, you know, not single use items like a microphone. So of course, if your numbers are smaller then your incidence or the probability of transmission is smaller. So right. as we do this phase three entry, it's just really mindful to try and think through, can I accommodate um, worship in a smaller setting? Can our teams become smaller? Can we section them? Like um, some of the ideaing has been really great. Um, obviously, I'm not 
over music ministry, but I've yeah. enjoyed hearing these ideas. They're good. Just think yeah, small. The, the, I think the main thing to remember is that what we're talking about here is not based upon how we value a certain style. It's about numbers. Absolutely. And and continues to be that. And well, it's not praise team is better than choir. No, not at all. Not, not at, all. at all. It's just our numbers. If we can yeah. keep those numbers, we can have a small choir. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We've got most of our churches have small choirs, and we're thankful for them. And uh, so, no, well, it, I've, got to, I've got to point out if the choir gets too small, you have a praise team. So we're really getting <laughs> definitions here. That is true. Some of us are uh, laymen. Remember. Yeah, always know. Yeah, some of the some of the smaller choirs I've heard around the state are incredibly effective. And so, uh, but yeah, we're we're all wanting to sing. I'm telling you, it's been a, it's been a challenge. Uh, as we kind of kind of move towards, uh, I want to get Adam Howard in here. Adam's got a very diverse program. And Adam, first of all, welcome to Georgia. You've been around for a few years now, but uh, kind of new to us in many ways. Uh, and, and Adam, in particular, uh, you have hosted the Senior Adult Choir Festival the past several years and done a magnificent job. Our folks love going to your church at uh, First Baptist Church of the Islands in Savannah. Uh, you've got a great heart for all age groups, but I, I want you to think a little bit about the older con What are you all doing to kind of reach out to the older congregation? Uh, and as you restart, what are you putting in place uh, to, to be as, as careful as you can with most vulnerable? Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And it is great to be in Georgia. Um, I miss South Carolina, but uh, I love the islands. And so it's uh, really nice. I was telling the guys earlier, um, I've been able to work on the beach a couple of days. So it's been, uh, it's been rather nice to be able to do that. Um, you know, that's one thing I love about our church at First Baptist of the Islands is we have a very diverse age group there. And uh, one of the things that, that's great for us is we have some phenomenal deacons. Uh, we have a group of men, and those men really help us take care of our senior adults. That's what they do. They take care of especially our widows, but many of our seniors. And um, they're constantly making contact with them week after week, not just during this pandemic. That's what's happening before. You know, they're in weekly contact with our, with our widows and our seniors. And so that has continued. Um, any senior adult in the choir ministry, um, I have been contacting them weekly just to check on them. And another thing that our student ministry has done, our student pastor has actually every week on Wednesdays, we do a student service project to where they do something for the seniors. We reach out to the senior adults within the church, and that's the entire congregation. Um, usually we're toilet papering their houses, which we're not throwing it on their house, but it's too <laughs> expensive now. We're actually uh, taking it to them with a little card. Um, that tells them they've been toilet papered. Um, so, that's, that's, so, so are you telling me that's why there's a shortage? That's probably why there's a shortage. It's at all of our senior adults houses down here in Savannah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's one of the things we've been doing. And then just, you know, trying to keep in touch with them. Um, we've helped a lot of them uh, set up their Roku app, or we've helped them set up um, their Facebook, or we've helped them do a lot of those things. We've provided a few devices to people. Uh, to help them with that. Um, so those are some things that we've done. In fact, I've got to go tomorrow to one of our senior adult houses. I'll, of course, mask up and everything. Uh, she's having some issues with her Roku. So um, I'll go over tomorrow and help her with that. So that's just some things that we've been, that, that we've been doing. Oh, that is, that is great, Adam. And uh, as we kind of get ready to move towards a uh, conclusion, I got a couple of questions I'd like to ask. Uh, and 
and if we could kind of go uh, in the order of how we have gone for you, for the musicians, this is a question for each of you. Uh, and this is simply, what are you going to do about congregational singing? And because uh, that that's a concern. And so uh, can can we start? Uh, I think we started with Cliff. Cliff, what about congregational singing? And then Will, Barry, um, and uh, Steve, Adam. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our plan for congregational singing, we're going to rely on our appropriate spacing um, to uh, and, and trust that system with our congregational singing. One thing we'll do in between services, like rows will not be used in one service, and those will be the rows that are used ah. in the next one. And so even just, you know, being uh, as careful as we possibly can. Uh, so that's our uh, our plan is that hopefully we get everyone spread out enough where they feel comfortable singing. Okay. Uh, by any chance, are you going to mark uh, pews or chairs uh, so that um, there's spacing between the seats. I know you're doing it between the pews. Yes, yeah, so space between, like a row between uh, people in the seats, and then also uh, this way as well. Like yeah. People will sit uh, together with families, with their family, um, right. and then there'll be appropriate spacing before there would be. So it's, it's quite a process for our ushers, our greeter team, um, and uh, we're going to learn a lot those uh, first couple of Sundays for sure. But you're going to be singing. We will, yes. All right. Let, uh, let's move on to, to Will. Uh, I think you expressed a little bit of this, but uh, Will, elaborate a little bit more. For congregational singing, what are you going to do? That might be a little bit different. Probably not too much different. We're, uh, again, trusting yep. the fact that our spacing is 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 in place and that we have communicated well enough in all of the ways that we've communicated. If you are not feeling well, if you are immunosuppressed, if you have met, not met the governor's guidelines for age um, to, to be going out and not showing them, please do not come. It's for your own safety. And so if they will heed those things, we'll be in better shape because those are the, those are the groups of people that we're the most concerned about anyway. So right. If you if if you will show up and you're healthy and you bring your family, great, wonderful. We're going to keep doing that and um, continue the congregation singing, also. Well, that's that's if to, yeah. yeah, they're not using different rows, but we're going to be cleaning in between. But I like that idea. Yeah. If you've got the space, that's that's a great idea. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Good luck for you at Ivy Creek with that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a challenge, I know. Hey, uh, Barry at First Tipton, tell me about. Uh, I think we already know, but just to kind of get you on record, you guys are going to be singing in the pews. We will be. Uh, we'll have that uh, leave a pew between rows uh, rule in place here in the ministry center where the contemporary service will take place. I think we're doing something really, really high tech. We're going to take uh, pieces of paper in alternate rows saying, don't <laughs> hear. And then after the first service, we're going to move those to the rows that were occupied previously so people won't sit in the rows that were already occupied. But uh, you shared that with me yesterday, and I thought that was a great idea and a very, very simple idea. Just uh, if you're going to use the same space uh, for another service, just just move the papers so that people aren't sitting in the same chairs necessarily. Right. And are you going to do that in the sanctuary also? We won't uh, because we'll have time for a thorough cleaning between this week and yeah, next. That's right. Sure. That's right. It's yeah. just, Really, uh, we've already planned worship for the 31st, and people are just crying out to 
to be thankful to God for carrying us through mm-hmm. and uh, looking toward the future to see where he's going to carry us next. And it's a horrible thing, but it's also a tremendous possibility for us to move forward with kingdom work. So we're excited about whoever we see on Sunday the 31st. Well, that's a good word. Um, now, Steve, I know you do the choir and some of these things, but, but, uh, I know you oversee about everything's going on at Warren. Uh, are your worship teams, they're going to continue to, sing congregationally and lift up their voices to the Lord. Is that right? As far as we know, you know, we've, we've thought about different things. We've thought about putting masks on the congregation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just. I know churches that are doing that. Yeah. I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't faced that yet. We yeah. even think about our contemporary teams because they have more singers that will be singing back toward them than there are. Right. As far as those guys, you know, there's maybe three of them on the platform at the same time. Sure. And uh, so, you know, those are great questions. Yeah. John, I I think it's interesting to note that literally within two minutes, we had four questions come in (laughs) that said, (laughs) are you going to ask the congregation to wear masks? So I'd love a rapid fire round from everybody. Yeah, let's do that because I know several churches are going to offer, have, plenty of masks available to distribute to people that don't have them. And so a quick question, and uh, maybe we can start with Adam and then work back around. All right. About a 10 second answer, please guys. Yeah, we are, uh, we will have masks available, but we will not be requiring masks. Our greeters will wear masks. Those of us on the platform will not wear masks and we won't ask our congregation to wear masks. However, one of my favorite activities to do with my choir is to ask them to sing without words. So we can sing with just our eyes and our bodies. So uh, it is possible. That's good. Okay, Uh, moving on, uh, Cliff. Yeah, very similar. We won't require anything, but we're gonna make, you know, anything safety-wise available that we can from hand sanitizer to masks, so. All right, What what about you, Barry? Uh, masks will be optional here. Okay, Will? Yeah, masks are optional. Those of us in leadership will wear them when we're not on the platform just to show good, you know, modeling um, in terms of just keeping us, um, making sure that we just look as safe as possible, but we're not right. requiring them. We will not require. Okay. Well, most churches I know I've talked to, Scott, seem to be uh, kind of going in the same direction. <clears throat> going to encourage, they're going to model it. They're going to have them available and I try to show uh, responsibility at that point so that no one can look at them and, and say that they were negligent in these type of uh, areas. That'll make Tom Duval very happy, our attorney. Hmm. And so- uh, Yeah, we, we had several questions coming in and I, I think yeah, it'd be go good ahead. to address it about, specifically about uh, senior adults. And here's the general question, I'm gonna give the general answer is, you know, since the shelter in place is there for senior adults through June 12th, should we uh, invite them to services or should we make clear they shouldn't come or how should we go about that? And I believe the general consensus answer is encourage them to stay home, encourage them to honor the governor's stay at home order. And how do you communicate that? The same with every bit of communication that you're using to announce the regathering, use every opportunity to at the same time, tell them who the regathering is for. And it's not for our senior adults. If it's before Mm -hmm. June 12th, it is for those that are not under a shelter in place order by the governor. So you just have to communicate that every single time, but definitely they should be encouraged not to attend. 
And if you do ask them, if you do make it soft and say, if you want to attend, you can, you, you increase your liability there, as I'm sure Tom Duvall can back me up on, you increase your liability by going against that governor's order. So you don't want to do that. Yeah. That's right. And, and let me throw out something I thought Cliff alluded to it. Um, they've developed kind of a phase process. It's not really uh, um, going to be locked in according to date, but it's a, it's a goal, uh, phasing certain elements in uh, as you go. I, I know that uh, Johnson Ferry is looking at doing the same thing. I also saw a, uh, an, a note come to me from uh, Social Circle First Baptist, uh, uh, Michael Hardy and uh, his wife Jackie and Rick Genovese probably all work together on this. And they have printed up a four-phase document of which there's great flexibility in when to move to the next phase. But one of those phases includes uh, older adults. And when, when they, they're not gonna close the door to them. If they're gonna come, they're mm -hmm. gonna be welcoming. But they're making these suggestions and they're printing them out for their people, sending it out in, in hard copy form as well as email and website. And so the communication is going very deep and very far. And, and I think that's a, that's a good thought for us to consider. Uh, and, uh, but, but going in phases, but doing what Scott has suggested, I think is so critical during this time because folks, we just don't have enough information to be able to make what I would call empirical decisions. And, um, and I know there's that, that tension that we have. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, Dr. John, I do, I do want to invite everyone to attend our uh, reboot series. Simply, even if you're not the pastor, if you could join because we do discuss these things. Here's what we found. Since we started the series uh, almost a month ago, uh, the, 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 the pastors who are our panelists on that call, um, and, and for instance, uh, Cliff's pastor is on Jeremy. He's there every week. Um, the, 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 the dynamics are changing and, and the church plans are changing. As a matter of fact, you heard Cliff say, uh, this is sort of our plan and we think it might work. And you can almost hear the tentative nature of yeah. those plans, right? Th these are the conversations that are being had in our church, in our church staff meetings and, and with, with pastors and their deacon board, if, if they're a single church staff member, those types of things, it is unfolding. And these plans are going to continue to change. And we want to provide for you a channel where you can tune in, ask these questions, because they're going to affect your ministry and your worship ministry. And we don't know what else with the disease or with the numbers in Georgia uh, concerning, you know, cases and might change. We're, we're on a good trend right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. In Georgia, uh, you know, Kemp took a lot of criticism, come out of the gate quick with just kind of taking his hands off and, and, and letting us kind of decide as, as, as citizens what we want to do with our businesses, churches, et cetera. But, but the numbers have been favorable to his decision. And so, but what that could change, and of course we're praying it, it won't, but uh, with that in mind, these dynamics are changing. What we're finding is our pastors week by week are coming together every Thursday morning at 10 going, you know what? It's changed from where I was two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's different now. And this is what we think we're going to do. And so next week, for instance, we're going to look at Jason's plan at Bethlehem Church. He's going to pull it up the visual. We're going to walk through that. We walked through one last week of a church that runs about 400 out in rural Madison County, Georgia. And so how they're going to regather. And they're, they're not doing what they thought they were going to do. They, they thought they were going to go back into a sanctuary. They're going to do a ball field service the first time they gather back outdoors. Jason just said today at Bethlehem, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to use their ball field. So innovation is happening, different things. 
these kind of, and so I want to encourage everyone who's attending today. Thank you for being on here, but we, we're, this is really, it needs to be, it must be an ongoing conversation. And all the gentlemen on this call right now will attest to the fact that it is an ongoing conversation in their respective mm -hmm. churches, no doubt. Right. And so as the information changes, we have to be nimble. We have to be humble and admit maybe we were wrong last week. And so we have a better idea this week with new information and to change their trajectory. Now, I want to address something else real quick, John, that I think folks will find useful because there's a question by Barbara Porter about uh, that the, the in-person services have been averaging 15 to 25% of typical attendance. Yes, that is true across the board. So some churches that have been meeting say roughly a third of their people come back. Now, what's interesting is that correlates with the surveys that other churches have been doing that haven't started meeting. Those that haven't started meeting have begun to survey their congregations. And guess what? Two thirds say we wouldn't come back next week if you, if you open church next week. Yeah, so, right. for, so that 30% attendance rate, hey, what do you have? You have old folks, old senior adults are saying, you know what? I'm not going out. I'm not going to church. And then you have uh, mothers with children, uh, families with, with small children. They're saying, I'm not going back. They, there's no children's ministry. I'm not going to try to make my kids sit still. I can't even make them sit still at home in front of the pastor preaching on television <laughs> during worship. It's not going to work at the building. So what do you have left? You have about 30%. Yeah, 15, 25, 30% willing to show up at all. And I had one pastor this last week say on, on our panel call, and he said it well, he said, we don't want to go back live we can do live better than we're doing online. As long as we can do online better than we can do live, that's going to be, that's yeah. going to be our determining factor. And then other factors related to children's ministry, but that's, that's kind of where it is, but more and more, John, and I'll, I'll leave you with this. I've, I've just gushed here. I'll just say that, um, that the multi-phase reopening is becoming the standard. And that wasn't yeah. even talked about really at the beginning. Right, right. Scott, thank you so much for that. Uh, guys, I'd like to, because I, I know we've got men, uh, quite a few ministers of music that are watching here. I, I don't know how many hundreds, but there's several. And I, I want to let you guys know, your ministry is still vitally, vitally important in the life of your churches. I know that perhaps you, you kind of feel uh, at a loss of where you are right now. I'm reminded about the uh, my, my first my minister of music was Gene Bartlett, uh, who led music for Oklahoma Convention years ago. And he said, when I surrendered to ministry, he said, John, you're going to bring joy to your congregation when they, when they need it. Uh, and I've never forgotten that. And I'm remember, reminded of the story of Leo Biscaglia. Many of y'all might know that name, uh, those in educational circles anyway, taught at USC for years. And he shares a story about when he was a child, uh, about the, the misery dinner that his mother prepared. You see, his dad came home from his business and reported to the family that his business par partner had absconded with all the funds and they were now bankrupt. They didn't have a dollar to their name. The mother took her jewelry and went out and sold all her jewelry at a pawn shop and bought food for the family with it to prepare a scrumptious meal. And she prepared this incredible feast for the family. They gathered around the table. They couldn't believe their mother had spent all that money for that meal. And they scolded her for it. And her response to them was, family, the reason why I did it is that the time for joy is now when we need it most, not for later. I've never forgotten that story because many times, what you're providing day to day 
not only through your ministry of music when, when people see you up there, but when, when they get a phone call from you, when they get an email or they get some kind of a post from you or a Facebook or a, or a chat, something along the lines that you spread a little bit of joy in the life of that individual. Well, guys and gals that are helping our churches know this, the, joy, the time for joy is now and it's not for later. And so, sir, you're making an impact and never give up with that because God is using you and he is going, I think, Scott, now you're, you're big in evangelism and you can give your final amen and I'll be through here. But every great awakening has followed a time of crisis. And I'm praying, we have been praying for years that God would do another great awakening that could only be attributed to his work and his power for the sake of the gospel. And I'm optimistic because I think God is, is going to do something that's going to be powerful. And so dive into that, whatever it might be. And so it's a joy to be with you all today. Scott, thank you again for sharing and serving in the way that you do at the George Baptist Mission Board for Thomas the great work he does in helping make this thing go forward and praise God that we have the technology that we can serve in the capacity that we're serving right now. Absolutely. Scott, I'll let you close. Listen, absolutely. Thank you, uh, Dr. John. Thank you. All of our panelists have been just absolutely tremendous. This was a value packed information rich webinar. And so uh, we hope you got a lot out of it. We're going to post the replay at gabaptist.org forward slash reboot. That's gabaptist.org forward slash reboot. Now, you may have some questions that were not answered. Uh, Dr. John, how can they get in touch with you, sir? Could you give us uh, your email address? If they could yeah, gladly. Very easy to remember, Duncan D-U-N-C-A-N, Duncan at gabaptist.org. All right. And so by all means, write that down. Uh, feel free to send any question that wasn't answered to John. He's got all the contacts you see on the screen and more. He can get your question answered. I think for the most part, the big ones have been answered. A lot of you've stayed over by an extra 15 minutes past the top of the hour. We, we thank you for that. We will post this replay and the other replays are already there from the previous sessions in this series around rebooting your church ministries post COVID-19 along with resources with each video uh, replay. And of course uh, there's also a prayer strategy that'll be going up today. David Franklin and I had a great short conversation about how do you mobilize your church with a prayer strategy specifically around regathering. And we're going to also uh, link a, a PDF of ideas on how you can do that for your church convention uh, church wide, uh, and so avail yourself of that as well. That'll be posted later today. Again, thank you all for attending. Uh, we will email you a link also to the replay. If you registered, we will email you. Uh, sometimes those go to spam, so check your spam folder. But either way, if you have the link, gabaptist.org forward slash reboot, you've got all you need to see the replay later. Thank you all for everything. God bless your ministry. Thanks for sharing with us today. And you guys have a great day. Thank you, Scott. All right.